0: All right. so a lot has happened since the last time we dived into the book of John, but yet here we are again. Over the past month, I have debated back and forth, back and forth whether we should finish the book of John or move on to something entirely different. Believe me, there was no easy answer for me in regards to whether we would conclude this book or not. You see, we've been in this book for a while. We've been in the book of John since May of last year, 2011. So that's... 17 months and many of you have already expressed your desire for us to move on from the book of john i hear you i get where you're coming from and i respect your opinion on the matter but recently as i've been praying to the lord i believe he's been leading us to finish this book to be honest it's kind of hard for me in a way Being a new senior pastor coming into an existing church, you kind of want to do the uh, sermon series that's really going to get people excited about the future, right? About the transition. uh, A couple of ones that come to mind would be you'd maybe preach about when Moses dies and Joshua has to take over and lead the Israelites. Or maybe when Paul is given his instructions to Timothy, a really young leader um, on how to run the church in Ephesus. I considered both of these topics, but I feel like the Lord spoke to my heart and he said this. And listen up. This next season at LifeSpring is not about the next great thing, next great leader, or the next great church program or outreach event. No, this next season is going to be about the same thing that the last season was about. Jesus. (laughs) Now, some of you, I know you're already like, wow, well, duh, you know, that sounds pretty elementary and simple, but okay. If it's elementary and simple, I don't know what else to tell you. We're a one-trick pony at this church, and his name is Jesus. And uh, it's going to be all about Jesus, and we're going to continue to learn how to live a surrendered life that is under his authority and under his kingdom. In a way, it's very symbolic that we are continuing through the book of John. Uh, I want you to know that I respect where we've been at as a church. I also want you to know that I feel that we're on the right path. I didn't take over a sinking ship. We're on a good course with a good heading. There's going to be changes and adjustments, of course. But any of those changes would be only made to magnify what God is already doing here at the church. Uh, We're not blowing up the whole thing and starting over in, in any way, in any matter. So with that, let's dive into John 14 or John 18. It's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you might recall, Jesus and his disciples have just spent the evening together. Chapters 13 through 17, they eat together. Jesus washes his, their feet. He predicts his betrayal. Satan enters Judas, and then Judas leaves. He goes and tries to get Jesus arrested. Then chapter 14, Jesus begins to tell them absolutely beautiful things about how he's prepared a place for them in his father's house. Jesus tells his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He explains about this thing called the Holy Spirit and how he will be sent to them to teach and remind them everything that Jesus has already told them. Then we move on to chapter 15, how he is the vine and the branches, telling them that if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Chapter 16, at the end of this very long discourse, he says one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Then chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer, which we discussed through June and early July. Now chapter 18, verse 1. These next couple of chapters are very heavy, very intense. I wish I had more jokes built into my sermons because they're really I mean there's not a lot to laugh about. In the next couple of chapters. They are very powerful chapters. In fact, I believe they lay down the groundwork for what we believe as Christians and as a church. But before we read, I'd like us to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us your instructions. That you've given us your word. That you've given us your son. May your word be alive in us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Chapter 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, he knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, And weapons. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have no one lost. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Then the the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. At first glance, when you look at this passage, it kind of reads like Jesus is the victim of this angry mob, right? With their torches and their lanterns and their weapons. Having a three-year-old girl, it kind of reminds me of the scene from what classic Disney cartoon? No. Beauty and the Beast, right? They're like, kill the beast! And they're coming up there with... Their weapons, Shrek, that's not Disney, unbelievable, obviously DreamWorks, but the more you read this passage and if you're familiar with the book of John and how Jesus is portrayed in this book, you know that even though that mob might feel like they're in the control of this situation, in charge of this situation, actually the person being arrested is the one who is in charge. We know this because of John chapter 10, 17 and 18. Jesus says this. Listen up. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There would be one thing that I'd like you to learn from this morning, it's this, that Jesus was in control of this situation. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. He gave his life for you and for me voluntarily so that you and myself would have life. And I'd like to highlight a couple of decisions that Jesus makes in this passage that really shows us today that Jesus has laid down his life for us. Number one decision, he decides to go to Gethsemane. He decides to go to the garden. He goes to the garden. The beginning of this chapter, it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was this garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. He was familiar with this place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Jesus is not hiding He is not in hiding. They did not run off to the garden, go hiding in trees, hoping that Judas would not find them. Do you see that? No, Judas or Jesus went exactly where he knew that Judas would find him. Think about it. Judas left the disciples in the upper room. He comes back with some Roman soldiers, Jewish officials. I have a hunch that they probably went to the upper room first, just because naturally that's where he saw them last. So maybe he brought them back to the upper room, saw that they weren't there. But knowing that Jesus often went to the garden, took them uh, to the garden after that. But see, Jesus is not running away from an angry mob. No, we actually read that Jesus came out to them. What does he say? He says, who is it that you want? Interesting. They came with torches, lanterns and weapons. They thought they were on a manhunt. Do you feel that? Needing to maybe chase Jesus down to, to find him, maybe even use their weapons against him. Instead, he comes out, he tells them that he's the one that they're looking for, and he tells them to let the other men go. In fact, the Bible tells us that when he says, I am he, that they drew back and fell to the ground. All right, so this little this little section where he says I am He and they drew back and fell to the ground. Read a lot of commentary on that section. Uh, none of the commentaries seem to agree on what happens here. Uh, whether it was just a display of God's power or whether they you know tripped over a root and fell in the mud. They they don't really know. But for myself, I guess it's just one more example that Jesus is in control. I really believe that. See, He could have prayed to the Father, and he would have given him twelve legions of angels to fight for him. But instead, he is freely giving up himself for us. He goes to the garden because he knew that's where they'd find him, and that's where they'd be looking. Another decision that Jesus makes, number two, Jesus commands Peter to put away the sword. Here we are, Jesus, he's just about to be arrested, taken away. And what does Peter do? He comes out to defend his master, right? He pulls out his sword. I love this about Peter. He is a good man. He is zealous and passionate though. From reading the Bible, we see that he gets it wrong from time to time, but I like Peter. I really like Peter here. He is with his little sword. He's trying to fight off these soldiers and officials. And I just want to encourage you. Sometimes Peter gets the, the, uh, rap of being a coward. This is no coward. Peter is no coward because at this moment, by pulling out your sword, you are willing to die for Jesus. I hope you understand that. This is not a coward that would pull out his sword and try to fight for his master. And in his attempt to defend his master, what does he do? It tells us that he cuts off an ear, which I kind of feel like Peter missed, right? <laughs> like What kind of battle strategy is cutting off ears? I, you, you, he missed, right? He missed, but Jesus, he quickly puts an end to the melee. We find out in Luke's gospel that Jesus healed the ear, which uh, I feel probably saved Peter's life. And uh, in verse 11, Jesus says this to Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup? The father has given me. Jesus, as we read in the other gospels, he spent some serious time praying in the garden. And by now he is ready to do the father's will. So Jesus says, put away the sword. You know, later on in the chapter, he says this. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. If his mission on earth didn't include dying for us, then I I can guarantee you he would have let and allowed his disciples to fight for him. He would have done more than that. He would have done what he talks about in Matthew 26, where he says, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But that's not why he came. His kingdom was not of this world. So the sword was not the answer in this scene. Jesus knows what must be accomplished to bring salvation to this world. He is to be the sacrifice for sin. He is to be the perfect lamb of God to be slain. All right. So how does this all apply to our lives today? You know, it's great, Pastor Dan. I appreciate the history lesson, um, but uh, how does it influence my life today in 2012? Well, I've got three very specific truths for all of us that I'd love for you to hear and take with you this morning. Number one, the same Jesus who is in control in the darkest hours of his life, he wants to be in control in your life those times when the powers of darkness were most at work, when Satan was using those around Jesus, even those that were closest to him, including one of his disciples, even when Satan was using them to do horrific things, Jesus was still in control. On the surface, this arrest, this crucifixion of Jesus, it looks like this unfortunate miscarriage of justice. But in reality, as we look back at it and step back and look at it from our perspective, we see the sovereign plan of God being marvelously fulfilled. And I believe that we can trust and find courage in the fact, in our darkest moments, in our time of suffering, when it feels like those closest to us and nearest to us have turned against us, we can have confidence that Jesus is still in control. With a warning, I guess, or a concern. I would say this, you must allow him to be in control of your life. If you choose to keep on sinning, living for the things that are not of God, I'm here to say that you are allowing something entirely different to control you, just like Judas did when Satan entered him. You know, speaking of Judas, here's an amazing thing about today's story. I was thinking about it this week when I was doing my reading and my studying. Jesus and the entire mob that came with him, They don't alter their intentions, even when confronted with the majesty of Christ. I mean, they have to be surprised at his demeanor, that Jesus is not fearful or afraid when they confronted him. They must be overwhelmed by the glory that is demonstrated when they are knocked down by the power of God. Surely when they see a miracle of Jesus healing Malchus's ear, surely then they would repent and abandon their mission. But no, they continue headstrong into their sin and their iniquity. Sometimes we feel as Christians that if God would just show his power, surely God would repent and turn to him. But Judas in the story, it's such a good example that the demonstration of power does not guarantee repentance. Repentance, it's a choice made in the heart of an individual to turn from your wicked ways and your sin. If you're sitting here this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I would serve God if he just show himself to be real. Just one more miracle, one more, one more demonstration of power. You know, I have full confidence this morning that he has already done that in your life a thousand times over. Accept the facts that are before you and accept what he has done for you. Trust in him and turn to him and serve him. If you want God to be in control of your life, then you must surrender to his will and his plan for your life. Does that make sense? So Jesus, he was in control and he is still in control. If you are a believer here today and you are going through a tough season, you need to know that Jesus understands what you are going through this morning. Back in the upper room, a couple of chapters before chapter 18, what does he say to his disciples? He says, in this world, you will have trouble, period. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You need to be reminded that Jesus understands your suffering. He understands what it feels like to have darkness surround you. But this one who understands is the same one who conquered death, who overcame the world, who set the captives free, who takes away our sins and gives us eternal life. Number two on your outline put your trust in Jesus, not in yourself. Put your trust in Jesus, not in yourself. Put away your sword. Again, back at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust, trust, trust. Here's the deal. We start fighting when we stop trusting in God. Most of our fighting that goes on on an individual basis that I see in homes and in schools and in our community... It's based on fear, anxiety, and worrying about the future. See, Peter loved Jesus. He didn't want anybody to take away his master and his friend. He was scared. Do you see how scared Peter was? He was scared, so he drew his sword. But see, Peter didn't understand, even after all this time with Jesus, what, about three years with Jesus, he still didn't understand what Jesus had to do to fulfill the law and to save the world. I find myself doing this all the time. I can guarantee you. You do it as well. We figure, you know, maybe God isn't seeing the current situation that I'm in. Maybe he doesn't have his listening ears on because I'm doing a lot of talking and I'm not hearing much in response. Maybe we feel this sometimes that maybe God just needs our help. Uh, Maybe, you know, God just can't do it on his own. So we need to help a little bit out. So we go take the situation into our own hands. My friends, what do we do when we take the situation into our own hands? We make a mess of it. We make a mess of it. We forget that God actually has a plan. God's plan, I'll tell you this: It is scary to follow God's plan. Don't get all super spiritual on me and tell me how easy it is to trust in God. It is scary to be a disciple. It is scary to see a, be a disciple and see these men bind up your master and lead him off. It's scary to see Jesus beaten and flogged. It's scary to see your hope crucified on a cross and die. It is scary. To trust in God, but it is good to trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. And remember, He loves you. You're not putting your trust in a wicked man or somebody that's going to fail you, you are putting your trust in in the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, the Lord, whose love never fails. We sing that song all the time about his love that never fails. This whole scene in the garden, I hope you see it, that it is a scene of love. It's the son's love for the father, right? And the father's will to be accomplished. But it's also a scene of love for us. His love that was so great that he humbled himself by becoming obedient To the point of death, even death on a cross. He loves you very much. And that brings me to my final point. Number three, Jesus is not hiding from you. Jesus is not hiding from you. Jesus makes himself available to all of us, to the sinner and to the saint. He makes himself available to the mocker and to the follower. He eats dinner with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, and people just like me and like you. And he wants you to find him. He is not in hiding. In fact, he is looking for you. He wants you to ask him if he really is who he says he is. He wants you to ask him, are you really who you say you are? And he will answer with an affirmative, I am. My prayer for you and each one of us this morning is that when he responds as the great I am, that we would surrender, that we would lay down those torches, lanterns and those weapons and we confess him as our Lord and Savior. Some of you in this room. Your life is out of control. It is chaos. You go from sitting and learning at the feet of Jesus one moment to cursing Him the next. You are not living a surrendered life and you do not trust Him. And I promise you that until you live a life that is surrendered to His Lordship until nothing matters more to you than His will being done in your life, you will live an unsettled life, gripped by fear. And when the darkness surrounds you, you're going to pull out your little sword and you're going to try to fight And you will not win. We've all done that. I've done that. My wife has done that. Every one of us in this room have done that before. Tried to live outside of the will of God. And we make a mess of it. Stop fighting. Stop trying to do this life on your own. Surrender to the Lord. Put your trust in Him. Allow Him to be in control of your life. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Here's a great promise for those of us who put our hope and trust in Jesus. It comes from Romans 8. The Apostle Paul says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Accept the love of God that was demonstrated on that cross. John 3:16. it's a familiar passage, but it is a powerful passage. 16 and 17 put it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, he sent him to save the world. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your hope, your trust in the one who willingly laid down his life for you and for me. And I guess I'm talking to everyone in this room, non-Christians, Christians. We just got to stop playing the game. We got to stop trying to play the game and, and do it on our own. It's just, it's an impossible life to live on our own. If you've never made that decision before to surrender to the Lord, I want to give you that opportunity in front of everybody else today. Romans 10:9 puts it really well. Listen up. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to read that again. This is our hope. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins and have eternal life, I invite you to raise your hand. in front of everybody. Just let us know that you'd love to be a part of it. I see you, absolutely, amen. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Absolutely, I see you, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to we're going to clap and celebrate. Let's say this together, Lord Jesus. I confess you. As Jesus, my Lord. And I believe and have faith in resurrection power that you rose from the grave and that I will raise from the grave too. Lord, I thank you that you have given me the gift of eternal life. I am eternally grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just give a final applause to the Lord?